I'm like Alan. I really appreciate your ministry to us with your piano. Thank you. I, uh, I'm involved with a, uh, a group of Christian businessmen, and they have a set of Bible verses that we put to memory. And one of those Bible verses says, Always be prepared to give a reason for the, who, of anybody who asks you for the hope that you have. So I always tell Alan, if you need me, I'm always prepared. So I'm so thankful for an opportunity to be here again this morning. And, but I am so sorry that uh, it's at the expense of Janet's uh, being ill. So I would like to, before I begin, have a quick word of prayer for the message this morning and also for Janet. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for your many blessings. And we do thank you for this time of year that we pause to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Father, and for our coming King. And we do want to lift up to you, Janet, Father, and ask that uh, you continue to help her to improve. We thank you that she's in uh, good care at the hospital, Father. And we just lift up Alan and and the kids to you as well, Lord, and ask that you comfort them. And I do uh, thank you for this opportunity to share with the folks uh, uh, from your word, Father. And I ask that you would uh, be with me as I um, proceed, Father. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, you know I've been speaking in from the book of John, and uh, actually I'm going to continue that uh, with a little bit of a twist. I do want to share a very brief testimony, Um, and actually it's in regards to these uh, men that I I meet with a, a group of men on once a week for prayer. And we are reading through the book of First uh, Corinthians. Uh, and there was a Bible verse that we were reading. It was in First Corinthians 8. So I'm going to turn there briefly to share this quick testimony. First Corinthians 8. And again, I have a very literal translation. Shouldn't be that much different, but it may be from the one you're used to. I can't even find it. Okay. I said okay, but I'm on the wrong page. Okay, it says in verse starting in verse one, it says, Now concerning the uh, idol sacrifices, we are aware, because we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. But love buildeth up. If anyone thinketh that he knoweth anything, not yet knoweth he as he must needs come to know. So don't think you know too much because there's always something else you need to know. But verse 3 is the one I want to share with you specifically. It says, But if anyone loveth God, the same is known of him. And the first time we read through that, I was thinking that it was in regards to the individual that loveth God, he was being known for loving God. In other words, it's like Billy Graham is a man of God. He's known for being a man of God. And I'm sure you know men here are men of God, and they're known for being a man of God. Well, that was the impression I had. Well, 
The other men, and I was reading this version, and the other men said, oh, that's not what it says. So I said, okay. And so when I went home and I, and I, I checked, and, and I, I don't know, I suppose the reason why I, th- I thought the way I did is because the word him in this version is not capitalized. And in their versions it was. So that gave them the clue of the significance of this verse. So when I went home and checked, it says, but if anyone loveth God, and of course the word loveth means it's in the present tense form. That means this particular man is loving God in a continuous mode, day by day, moment by moment. It's his lifestyle. It's the way he lives his life. He lives his life loving God. This same, which is anyone who loveth God, is known of him. So the him is speaking of God. So in other words, it's saying to me that an individual that lives his life in a way that is loving God and all that that implies, he's going to be known of him. And I got to thinking about that. And I cross-referenced it with a couple verse, couple passages, which I want to turn to very quickly. The first one is Matthew 7, 21 and, and verse 23, through 23. And see, one of the reasons is I meet with men continually uh, one-on-one. And I'm always speaking of, well, we, I do a, a discipleship Bible study with him, but I'm always talking about things regarding the kingdom. And I never had a good answer for these passages that we're going to look at very quick, very briefly. And then I, so let me just read those real quick. And then comment very briefly. Okay, Matthew seven, twenty-one through 23. This is uh, part of uh, one of the parables. And I cannot find the passage I want. Matthew 7, 21. I can't find it. Doing the right reference. The thing is, I can't find it in my Bible. See, it uses actual Roman numerals, which I'm not really used to. <laughs> but it seems like I'm on the right page. Let's try over here. Okay. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of the heavens, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven, who is in the heavens. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not in thy name prophesy, and in thy name cast demons out, and in thy name many works of power performed? And then will I confess unto them, now this is the Lord speaking, never have I acknowledged you. Depart from me, ye workers of lawlessness. And of course, anytime you see the word lawlessness, that is a reference to a way of life, of the way they're living their life is without the law, in other words, without obeying the commandments of Christ. So he's saying that I never knew you. In other words, he never knew them to be anyone that loveth God. When I saw this verse, I immediately thought of these these parables that uh, uh, actually, in a sense, announced judgment on these people. 
And then in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, I'll try not to, we shouldn't have to read all those verses. Take up much, that much time. But basically, it's going to give the same idea. But it's interesting to see, you've seen these passages before, but perhaps in a different perspective. Okay, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Let me see if I can find the passages that actually speak for... Uh, this is, I believe... This is the ver- this is the parables of the ten virgins, and of course, you know the five wise, and there were five um, foolish, and the five wise had prepared ahead. They had the extra oil, and then when the uh, bridegroom came in the middle of the night, they were prepared for it, and the, the foolish were not. And while they were gone, he comes, and he takes the five wise, and then to the Five foolish, he says, is there I can find it real quick. Okay, let's see, I believe. If anybody catches the verse that I'm looking for, 12, thank you. Oh, here it is. And he answering said, Very verily I say unto you, I, well, let me back up just a second. It says, and they were who... <coughs> But afterwards came the other virgins also saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he answering said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. And then we are warned to be watching therefore, because ye know neither the day nor the hour. And then, and then in Luke 13, and if I'm not, I'm not, I think it's a different parable. I don't think it's a parallel. Luke. 13, verse 20, looks like 23 to 30. Luke 13, 23 to 30. 23, oh goodness. 20. Here, I'm closer now. 23 to 30. Oh, my goodness. Luke 13, 23 to 30. Again, I'll try to... Uh, the gist of this is speaking of a, a wide gate and a narrow gate. Be stri- In verse 24, Be striving to enter through the narrow door, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter... And will not be able when once the householder shall rouse himself and lock the door and ye begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. So coming across 1 Corinthians 8.3. Now, I mean, I've heard explanations and I've always just basically said, uh, the, what the Lord was saying is that in those passages is I did not know you in the way that I knew these people but now I have a specific cross reference to bring them well know in what way well the way is is that someone that is loving God as a way of life as a priority in their life and they will be known of God for it so 
I just uh, thought I'd share that quickly with you before we went back into the uh, John chapter 1. And let's see here. I have, uh, I want to go back to the first several verses and reiterate. When I saw this, it just has really stuck with me. And it's, again, it's in verse, beginning in verse 3. It says, um, all things, this is John 1, verse 3. All things through him came into existence, and without him came into existence not even one thing. That which hath come into existence, that's the last phrase, this is a little translation, the last phrase of verse 3, and the beginning of verse 4 basically is a continuance of the same phrase. It says, that which hath come into existence in him was life. And the life, and the life was the light of men. So, the first time we we spoke on this, uh, I gave you the word for life in that particular passage is Zoe life. And we know that Zoe life is a um, a life with the view to the coming kingdom. And then I went back to Genesis two seven, and just briefly, the first. In the Septuagint, the first time that the word life is mentioned is in Genesis 2-7. So I went back there to get, you know, the what's intended because there's a rule of first mention in Scripture. So once it's used that way, in the first instance, then it's basically used the same way throughout the rest of the Scripture. So I went back to Genesis 2-7, and basically what it says is that... Uh, the God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And it says he became a living soul. And of course the word for soul is suke. But what was what is so significant about that is understanding that when Adam became a living soul, he became a, a, a three-part, Spirit, soul, and body. But his soul was controlled by his spirit. It's, it's the way God intended man to live. And, of course, we know that man fell. Uh, and so that when we are born into this world, we do not come into life as a living soul. We come in as a... Basically, our soul is kind of controlling us, and it's closely related to the flesh. I mean, when you think about it, when a baby is, a newborn is um, uncomfortable, they cry until they get whatever it is, a dirty diaper or whatever, or they're hungry or, you know, whatever the need happens to be, they communicate that. And, and mom knows that basically they're pretty sure what the problem is, so they fix it. So that baby is controlled basically by the basic needs, its basic fleshly needs. And, uh, of course, we grow up, and if we have good parents, our, our parents teach us it's not really good to focus on that in your life. You've got to be focusing on others, and you've got to be focusing on God. So that's what we have to be taught that. We, it just doesn't come natural to us. So 
when John is sharing with us that uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, what he was coming into the world to provide for us was an opportunity for us to uh, live our lives as a living soul. Although, we, because we accept Christ as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit indwell us and gives us power to do that. But we have to exercise our will every day to make choices to actually have that to happen. And I've used uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 that states, um, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, that word for transformation, as I mentioned before, is metamorpho in the Greek, which we get our English word metamorphosis. And, of course, we know that a metamorphosis is a change process. And, and, and my favorite is a, a tadpole becoming a frog because if you watch a tadpole going through this transformation process, it, it changes from a, uh, an animal, for lack of a better word, uh, that breathes through in water. It, it, it collects oxygen from water, and then it becomes a... Uh, air-breathing animal. I mean, a tadpole to a frog. A frog cannot live underwater. It goes to the bottom. Of course, it spends a lot of time in water, but it's got to come to the, the surface to breathe air. I mean, that is a total transformation and I think illustrates what uh, we should be doing. In that, in that verse, it says, by the renewing of your mind, the word mind is a reference to your will, which is a reference to your soul. And it's a continuing process. We, we, um, and it's not that every single day, moment by moment, that we accomplish that task. But if we have it as a goal and look to the Lord and read Scripture and study it to empower us, then we can accomplish that. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So the word for seek there doesn't mean that you're looking for something. It means that you've got a target set out in front of you and you're keeping your eye on that. It doesn't matter what's over here, what's over there. You've got your eye on that target and that's what you're seeking. That's And you may stumble. You may miss. I mean, you may see it. <laughs> the other day I ran the turkey trot. And... You know, I hadn't been running, you know, regularly. So I wasn't as uh, in shape as I would have liked to have been. But at one point, I came to a, a manhole cover, of all things, and I don't know how high it was off the surface of the road that we were running, but my toe caught it, and I started to fall. And I almost caught my fall, but I, I actually ended up doing a tumble, and I came back to my feet, and I kept going. But that's what happens when you've got your eye on that goal, there may be something that comes along that you stumble over. But if you're fortunate enough, you roll with it and you come back up to your feet and you keep going. That's what this life of, of living with the Lord is about. You uh, prepare yourself with God's Word and strengthen yourself so that you, when you hit these distractions, and we're all... We're all, we're all susceptible 
uh, what was that passage I read? Oh, in First Corinthians it says, if you think you know something, it puffeth us up. So you have to be careful. We're not all, we have not arrived, in other words. Okay, so the point is, this living soul is basically our goal. I believe that when it says, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, that's what we're seeking. We're seeking to, to have a life as a living soul. And so a, a, a life that is controlled by our spirit and not our soul, not our flesh. So, with, and see, when you, when you understand that, and then when you study the rest of the book of John, then it, those passages that use the word life is going to mean something different to you. And the passages that mean light. Because John came, he, he didn't come to bear witness to the Zoe, to the life. He came to bear witness to the light. And because the life, this living soul, was the light of men. It what, it's what brings us out of our darkness, of our, our, our way of selfishness, uh, our, our living our, our lives to ourself. That's the darkness. And because you see in verse 5 it says, The light and the light in the darkness shineth. The darkness thereof laid not hold. And I mentioned this before. It, it was, it's actually the darkness, they, they, it says they did not comprehend the light. They, it, in a, it actually has an implication that they did not desire the light. They didn't want it. That's what it's saying. When, when you look at the, the literal, that laid not hold, in the Greek... That's what it has a view to. And so, um, John came to bear witness to the fact that you don't have to stay in the darkness. You have an option. I believe that encompasses a big part of the gospel that is spoken of in in the New Testament primarily. The, The good news is that we don't have to live in this darkness. We can get out of this darkness and live a life as a living soul. And I don't mean literally as a living soul. I mean striving to live our lives as a living soul. Because we cannot, in this life, as in this body that we are in, the way that God created us, body, soul, and spirit, we will not accomplish that 100% until we are, uh, I think one of the Bible passages that I want to turn to here in a minute or two uh, will express this um, well I'm just going to hold off just hold that thought and when I come to it um, I think you'll you'll see what I'm talking about okay so what I wanted to do then with all that said I want to turn well one other brief thing in verse 9 it says it was the real light that enlighteneth every man coming into the world see that word enlighteneth in the Greek, uh, I did not write down the Greek transliteration for that, but it is 5461 in the Strong, so you guys can look it up that way. 5461. And I apologize for that. But what it means, I looked it up, I wrote the definition down. It says, to spiritually imbue with saving knowledge. And that word imbue 
has the idea of being inspired. We're saving knowledge. To me, that does not mean that uh, uh, I know that I need to accept Christ as my Savior. What I think, to me, what is speaking of, or what's in view, when you look at it in context, it's saying that saving knowledge, the saving knowledge about the salvation of the soul. Because if we live our lives, if we live our lives striving to become to live it in a way that is a a um, living soul then i believe unto the end as scripture teaches then we are going to be counted as the, one of the overcomers and we know that from the study of other passages of scripture that if you are an overcomer you are going to receive as part of your reward the salvation of your soul and so what I'm, I'm understanding this to mean is that in verse 9 is speaking of the light enlightens us to the knowledge of the salvation of our soul. That we need not only to save our spirits, but we need to save our souls as well. In the, so with that said, then I want to look at, actually I want to turn to the first book of the, of the letter of John, First John. And I want to read several passages, if we have time, I'm going to want to read several passages and see if these have a different, little bit different uh, meaning to you with the understanding of this Zoe life and suke becoming a living soul. So our first passage that I want to take a look at in this regard is First John 1, it's a long passage, because uh, it starts in First John 1 and ends in First uh, John 2, 6. First John 1, 1 to First John 2, 6. And basically I want to read through this and just comment sparsely on a couple of the passages here. Is to try to emphasize, well, to me, it's the way God spoke to me through his word as I was, I wasn't, I had taken a look at, again, one of the Bible verses that we memorize with this group of men that I'm involved with is 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. And so after I had taken a look at, you know, doing this study here in John, well, it got to me th- got me thinking, well, I, I, I maybe should double-check. And so I, I went back and I started looking there. And then I started looking. One of the other verses that we, we memorize is 1 John 1, 9. And so I started looking there. And I just not just those verses by themselves, but the context of those verses. And so when I did, it just God just began speaking to me. And that's what I want to try to share with you this morning. Okay. 1 John 1. This is, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we ourselves gazed upon and, and hands did handle concerning the word of life. Uh, now, you can't see that. You can't see this in your version, I'm sure, but the way this, this Bible is called the Emphasized Bible, it indents phrases of verses to show what it's actually supporting in, in a previous manner. Well, this is the first this is the first verse of this book, but yet it's indented as though it is 
the thought in, in the verse I just read means it's um, supporting some previous statement. And I got to think about that. The only thing I could, I figure it was in reference to John's gospel, because I believe he wrote the, the gospel before he wrote the letters. I don't know for sure, but I'm, I kind of have that impression because this path, this verse is indented as though it's, it's uh, supporting another statement. So anyway, with that said, I guess the the way that speaks to me is that it he basically John is continuing his thoughts from his gospels, what I'm trying to suggest. And although he kind of reiterates, he puts it in different words, but he's talking about that which was from the beginning was, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Anyway, continuing verse 2, it says, And the life was made manifest, and we have seen and are bearing witness and announcing unto you the age-abiding life. See, this I have a, a very literal translation, and in, in your version probably says eternal life. Well, that has a view to the millennial kingdom there, which indeed was with the Father and was made manifest unto us. So he's talking about, Christ being made manifest to us, which is, a, to me, goes right back to John 1, John 1, 1. Then it says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard are we announcing even unto you in order that we too may have fellowship with us and our own fellowship also may be with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things are we writing in order that our joy may be made full. And this is the message which we have heard from him and are reporting unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. See, there's a, again, there's a contrast of the light and the darkness that John speaks of in his gospel. Now, verse 6, it starts getting interesting. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him, and in darkness are walking, we are dealing falsely. We're not being truthful. We're, in other words, you're lying. If you say you have fellowship with him and you're walking... In other words, it's not saying that you've sinned and you are in fellowship with him. It's saying if you live a life in a way... Because when you see the word walking, that's a present tense form of that word. So that means it, it, it implies a lifestyle. It's a way you're living. So it's saying if you're, living, if you're living your life in a way that's in darkness and you say you have fellowship with God, it's not true. And you're only kidding yourself. And chances are we realize it and you're not fooling us. You're only fooling yourself. Okay, that was just... Okay, we are dealing... For, we are dealing falsely and not doing the truth. Whereas, in verse 7, whereas if in the light we are walking, okay, see, we're, this is a lifestyle, walking in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his son is cleansing us from all sin. Cleansing, present tense, it means it's a continuing thing. If we say, verse 8, if we say sin have we done none, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I spoke with an elderly woman one time 
And she says, I'm not a sinner. I said, okay. And, uh, you know, I couldn't go much further after that with that conversation. And, and although I did share with some scripture that says, well, God's word says we're all sinners. I said, well, I don't sin. Anyway. And, and people believe that. And I don't know if it's their uh, religious training. I'm not sure. But nevertheless, it says here, if we say sin have we none, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And what's the truth? Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what's not in us when you say that, when you believe that. It says, if we are confessing, there's that present tense form of the word confess. If we are confessing our sins, faithful is he and righteous that he should forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have a promise. If we, if we confess our sins on a day-to-day basis, on a regular routine basis, as a way of life, God promises two things here in this verse. He says that He will forgive us our sins. And see, this can't be a reference to our initial salvation because those sins are taken care of on the cross. And all we did was we accepted that gift. This is talking about how we have lived our lives since we became a Christian. He should forgive us our sins and cleanse us. He forgives us. That's the first thing. And second thing is... He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So let's say, now the way this is speaking to me, let's say you realized you've sinned, you confess it to the Lord, and you go on. Although there's some other sin in your life you're not really aware of, I believe that on the ones that you are aware of and are willing to confess to the Lord, in other words, you're acknowledging to God, yes, I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. He cleanses us. Excuse me, he forgives us of that sin. But he goes a step further and he, he cleanses, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Un, right, the word righteous, uh, if you look at that, the, it means you want to be found approved of God. In other words, living your life in a way that's pleasing to him. That's the idea behind righteous. Again, that kind of relates back to that seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You're actually seeking his approval. And so it's not a reference to your initial salvation. It's a reference to some point in time in the future. Okay. And so he will cleanse us from unrighteousness. In other words, the the things we've done in our life that are, are not approved of him. And we don't necessarily have to be aware of them. But of course... As we become aware of them, we need to acknowledge it and, and God. And if we do this as a lifestyle, then we, we continue our fellowship, as it's talking about previously, we, we maintain our fellowship with the Lord. That's the key to maintaining our fellowship with the Lord. Okay. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, false are we making him. And his word is not in us. So, don't take the position that you have not sinned. <laughs> if somebody brings something to your attention, which, you know, happens to me occasionally, from people near and dear to me, I sometimes am defensive, but I shouldn't be. 
I probably should take the position you're right. I've done something wrong. Forgive me. So at any rate, um, he says, if, 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 we have not, if we say we have not sinned, false are we making him. The him, I believe, is God. And um, sometimes I do wish I had another translation, but I didn't bring my other Bible with me. But anyway, I think you get the idea there. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My dear children, these things am I writing unto you in order that we may not be committing sin. Well, there you go. That's the whole purpose for it. See the word there, committing? That is a present tense form of that verb. And it's saying that the purpose, the reason I'm writing this to you is so that you don't live a life committing sin. doesn't mean you don't live a life that you have com- committed a sin. It means you're not living a life. Committing sin. It's a again a picture to a lifestyle way of life. Living in the darkness. That's a, that's in context as well. And if anyone should commit sin, this is really good news right here. If anyone should commit sin, an advocate have we with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is a propitiation concerning our sins, and not concerning our own. Only, but also concerning those of the whole world. Now that's a very interesting verse. It's in the context of believers and their lifestyle. And it says, Christ is our advocate. He is a, a propitiation. Well, I look, had to look up that word propitiation because, you know, typically it, I always associated it with he had paid the penalty for our sins. Well, when I looked it up in the, the Greek, it's the word, if I can read my own writing, hylosmos, and that's probably a poor pronunciation of the transliteration. But the definition is an, an appeasing. The word means appeasing. And, of course, we know in history, from history, that when Hitler was first on the move, uh, Lord Chamberlain tried to appease him to keep him in check of the way he was going through some European countries. He was being very aggressive and taking control. And and so Lord Chamberlain tried to appease him and actually gave him some things and didn't put up a fight, which turned out to be a big mistake. Well, well Christ is our advocate, and he is appeasing God on our behalf. Say again? Oh, amen, you're right. And, um, but that, that's, it doesn't speak of the penalty for you, know, paying the penalty for us. And it's speaking of our day to day life. Christ, Christ's work, let me see here. This is a reference to Christ's work as our high priest. Now, some, and then the rest, the, the next part of this passage, it says, and not for, it says, and not concerning our own only, but also concerning those of the whole world. So you say, well, you just told me that a propitiation means is not really speaking to the penalty of sin. So, and it implies that the, he's speaking of not just the saved, but but the lost as well. Well, um, I thought of that and. And it was kind of perplexing, but the more I thought about it, I ended up turning to uh, 
Revelations, excuse me, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And so let me look at, let's look at that very quickly. And let's see if that this explanation will help us understand the context. Revelation 20, what did I say? 11 through 15. Okay. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that was sitting thereon was, oh, excuse me, thereon, from whose face fled the earth and heaven, and place was not found. Uh, and a place was not found for them. And I saw the Lord, excuse me, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And, well, and the implication is they're, they're going to be checking the record if somebody's in the book of life. Okay, and the dead were judged out of the things written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Is sin mentioned there anywhere? No, there is no sin. So, and we know that from the context of this, that we're speaking, this is the great white throne judgment, and it's speaking of the judgment of the lost. Those who have never accepted Christ as their Savior. See, and so the, so the way I come to understand this passage is that Christ, when he died, when he paid the penalty for sins, it wasn't just for sins of the saved, of people that end up accepting Christ or applying the blood, but he died for all sins. And so they're not going to be judged for their sins at the great white throne judgment. They're going to be judged for their works. But, but of course, the only time we can do any good works that are going to stand up, you know, Scripture teaches that Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged for our works. But... It is, it's not going to, it only affects our, a reward that God wants to provide for us. And if, if our works do not stand up under the fire, in other words, they come out as wood, hay, and stubble, then we are going to suffer loss, the loss of our reward and all that that entails. But we're not going to be judged for our sins. And so... Uh, we have, because we are Christians, see, and the point I'm trying to get to is because we are Christians, we have the opportunity and the power to do good works. And it's not our good works. It's Christ's works through us. It's what he's able to accomplish through us. And that's what we get credit for that when we submit our lives, when we get closer and closer to this living, this living soul. Excuse me. How did I put it? Well, um, I forget how I put it. But at any rate, as we get closer and closer to what God intended for us, that's expressed in the book uh, Genesis 2, then we are able, he's able, excuse me, he is able to do more and more good works through us. 
And so that's what's going to be looked at at the judgment seat of Christ. And so um, that's the significance of works. Well, when you get to the great white throne judgment, because they have never, these people have never accepted Christ as their Savior, they're not going to have any good works to speak of. I mean, they probably have done some good things, but it's all been through their own power, their own flesh. And we do that. Uh, we do things in our own power, even as Christians. And so, um, and hopefully, as we read and study Scripture, we understand those circumstances or those times, and then and we can do it in His and give Him the glory and, and not look for self-glory. So, I don't know if that helps you, but it helped me to understand this particular verse. And then, it picking up, it says in verse 3, And hereby perceive we that we understand him, if his commandments we are keeping. Okay, again, there's that present tense form of that verb, keeping. Again, it's the way we're living our lives. If if his commandments we are keeping, that saith, I understand him. And his commandments is not keeping, is false. And in him the truth is not. Okay, so... If you're not keeping his commandments and you say you understand God, that is not true. And it says the truth, it says, and in him the truth is not, the truth is not. Again, what's the truth? Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, and then in verse 5, it says, But whosoever may be keeping his word of a truth, in this man... The love of God hath been made perfect. So that word perfect means complete or mature. doesn't mean the individual becomes perfect. I've already said we can't accomplish that. And I'm not going to get to the passage that actually I was uh, trying to think of and I couldn't. It's, it's in one of the next two, which I'm going to save for another time. Uh, hopefully it's not because somebody is sick or anything like that. But... At any rate, um, it has a, the idea behind it is to be becoming more and more mature as a believer. Then it says, "Hereby perceive we that in Him we are." So, th- and then it carries this thought. See, the "hereby perceive we" actually should go with verse six. It says, "Hereby perceive we that in Him we are." He that saith that in Him He abideth ought just as he walked himself also be also to be walking. So what I want to close with this morning is that in that, that last verse there, if you want to know you're in Christ, you look at yourself, you examine yourself, and you ask yourself, am I walking the way he walked? That's what that Bible verse is saying. He that saith in him, he abideth. In other words, if you say to somebody, you're living, abideth means living in the Lord. And again, that's the present tense form of that verb, abideth. If you're living in the Lord, you ought, just as he walked himself, also to be walking. So you look at the life of Christ in the Gospels. And I know it's a... It's a, a high standard. And who can meet it? None of us. But see, that's all part of the good news. 
We have a, a propitiation. We have somebody, an advocate. We have a high priest who's there on our behalf constantly as we are confessing our sins and as we are striving to do this. And when we fail, we acknowledge it, then we have a, a, an advocate on our behalf, all of our behalf. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And so that's uh, the word that I want to close with is that we need to be, um, if we want to know, if there's ever, you know, how, you know, you take a, a, a check on your fellowship with the Lord. You just ask yourself, am I living my life in a way that um, Christ gave an example to us in his word? So the other, I'm going to mention the other passages I was going to turn to in case you want to read on it. I was going to look at um, chapter 3, John, excuse me, 1 John 3, and the first uh, six verses there. Then I was going to close with, if I had a little bit more time, John 5, and those, and eventually focus on the 11, 12, and 13, which because of this study in, in the book of John has given me new insight or, as it says, enlightenment, uh, to these, this scripture. So uh, the next time, hopefully I'll have time, an opportunity to do that. So let's close in prayer. And um, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day once again, Father, and for your blessings. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for thy Holy Spirit that indwells and empowers us, Father. We thank you that you have given us an opportunity to live our lives by choice, in a way that's pleasing to you. But we can't do it in our own strength. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit and knowledge of your word, Father. And I just pray that each of us uh, have uh, has time to read and study your word, Father. And uh, we just thank you. For, we, again, we do lift up Janet to you and ask for you to strengthen her, Lord. And we give you thanks. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.